Good morning and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptoff, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me, as always, Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Redbird, a Medlock one on Twitter. Coming to you Saturday morning, New Year's Eve, last show of 2022. Um, hope that everybody's had a good holiday season, uh, getting ready for the new year, that uh, we'll have a joyous and happy 2023. Um Today, we're going to take a little, little bit of a look back at 2022, look a little forward to 2023, um, and just you know talk some baseball, I guess, to some degree. But before we get too far along, I do want, because I'll forget this at the end, and I want to do this, make sure we do this. Uh, I want to say thanks to everybody that has listened to us this year. This year has been, this is our eighth season, has been leaps and bounds better in the in the time in terms of downloads i don't have any idea if it's been better in the terms of quality um but it's been we've had uh you know significantly more listens this year um than we've had in any other year so thanks for everybody that's let's listen and pass us along and hope that you'll continue to listen next year so throw in the get that get all that stuff out of the way alan how you doing doing well doing well i want to say Happy holidays to everybody and, you know, happy new year by the time you get to this. But uh, thank you for all the listeners. Uh, you, we uh, talk about this often throughout the week of, of how well this year has gone for us. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of veterans that help us out with that on the field. But but uh, no, thank you all. It's uh, it means a lot to me. And, uh, you know, I enjoy doing it. I know Daniel enjoyed doing it. And uh, we appreciate all the uh, all the uh, love that you guys show us. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to take a little bit of a look back at 2022 and and Alan and I, we were just talking before the show. It's like, you know, once that season's over now, then it becomes a little bit hard to remember all the details now that we're (laughs) two or three months past that. But I think, I mean, obviously, Alan, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about 2022, you know, next year, 10 years, 20 years from now it's going to be the return of Albert Pujols and the, and the race for 700 home runs. Right. I mean, that's, that's probably the thing that stands out the most uh, from this season. I, I think that's going to last historically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh, it's, it's funny just how well that played out. You know, the um, I remember even talking to you maybe in, in August and having the uh, sending the message out of, Hey, he's going to do this, isn't he? You know, where if you remember, I mean, we were really heavy on, hey, just past A-Rod, we're going to be happy with this. I mean, the right. production they got in the second half is going to be beautiful, but then it turns magical. And that's, uh, I would think that would be the resounding uh, opinion of how the season goes. I mean, it's, think about how much that's overshadowed the fact that they don't have Molina. 
You know, mm-hmm. that's uh, I've thought about that often, whether that's fairly or unfairly. I mean, it's happened and maybe that's, you know, by design what what Yachty wanted as well. I mean, it could have been better for him. But uh, but yeah, it's funny when you when you have a retiring, you know, guy, of, especially a catcher under those terms, it how easily that was overshadowed is is, is impressive. Well, and that's what you, I remember you talking about, and you weren't the only one, but there was a couple other people that were talking about being hesitant to sign Albert Pujols back in, you know, December, January. Of course, we were, you know, lockout, you had all that stuff last year. But when that idea was broached uh, of signing Albert, that there was some idea of, of hesitancy because he was going to overshadow what was going to be, we thought, a really, you know, nice farewell tour for Yadier Molina and we kind of thought Adam Wainwright, although that obviously didn't, Adam Wainwright's coming back for another year. Yeah. Um, and it did. I mean, and, and I don't think anybody's going to trade off what we got from Albert. Nobody's want, nobody's saying we shouldn't have signed Albert Pools, I don't think. Um, but there is no doubt. And to be fair, some of that overshadowing is because Yachty was hurt and gone. I mean, completely True. gone from the team for so for long. So that, that, that played a part in it too. But yeah, I mean, to, to watch Albert go out the way he did it, and it really was just the second half, right? I mean, because we're talking July, we're like, I don't know how much longer they could keep playing him out there, right? He's hitting 185 and he's got a couple of homers and he's just, I, he just doesn't look like Albert Pujols and, you know, how awkward is this going to be down the stretch? And then he, you know, he made an adjustment, he figured it out and it was just, you know, I, I don't know. Some of that was, he knew the finish line was coming, right? I know a lot of people thought after the season that maybe he should come back for another year, but I think part of that extra kick that he got was just knowing only have to do this for X amount more days, you know, and then I'm done. Um, and I think that probably gave him a little bit of extra boost. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, it's uh, you, we had questions about how much he's going to be able to play, and I remember covering that on the show a little bit. And then when you hear that um, he wanted to, uh, yeah, he was getting into the home run derby and he was going to live it up and all kinds of things, and you know, it just kind of sparked. And you're right. I mean, it was one of those, hey, what do, what do I have to lose at this point? You know, right. let's just go out and play. And I mean, that points more a lot to uh, you know how much mental approach goes to the game. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's 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 one of those to where, you know, all the, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to say it, but I mean, you just play free and go out and then, you know, catch that last bit of uh, of a, uh, you know, a certain Hall of Fame career there at the end is just it's impressive. I mean, it's, it just shows what kind of athletes these are and and uh, what can happen when it was just, hey, let's just lay it all out there and see where it goes. And, you know, that. We went from thinking he could possibly be a guy that hangs up to at the uh, midway point of the season to now we're worried about how they're going to match that production. I yeah. mean, what does that tell you about the player? You know, that's that's it's impressive. Yeah, it was it was absolutely remarkable to you know because yeah, when he signed and I'm sure we talked about it here. Um, I I just thought there was no way he was going to get 21 home runs and get to 700. You know, it was going to be a stretch to get to. Dayrod, because that was only what an extra, you know, three less. You had to hit eighteen or whatever it was to to even tie or pass Dayrod. I thought, yeah, you know, that's that's asking a lot for a guy like this. But um, it all came together, and it was it was a wonderful thing. There's no doubt that 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 was the highlight of 2022. Was was watching Albert, not only to see Albert make that last run and and hit the home runs and get to 700. 
but how much fun he had all season long being back in St. Louis, being with Yachty and Wainwright and others, uh, you know, getting out there and pitching in the game early in April or whatever the case may be, April, May, whenever that was, um, you know, just really showing a joy that we didn't see the first time he was around because he was so focused on the game. Um, he, you know, there's a different, you know, knowing where your legacy is. And I know he always tried to say that, you know, he'd think about it when his career was done. He's always trying to make the team, blah, 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 blah. But going into this last year, I think he probably let, allow himself to enjoy what he's done in the game and, and not necessarily have that pressure to be, you know, a huge contributor. You just have fun. And it really, really showed. You still muted, Alan? That I, <laughs> I was <laughs> had it on mute drinking my coffee and I got going. So the, uh, so no, I agree with you on that wholeheartedly. It was one of those to where it, it just, all around, it was just, uh, just, it was so much more than than I expected. You know, I would, like I said, you you brought it up before. I was a little apprehensive of uh, how things would end for, uh, you know, all three of them essentially, and that this was kind of would kind of trump the signing of Pujols would kind of trump what could potentially happen with uh, the other two walking away. And it couldn't have been a better story, and it couldn't have been a better outcome. I don't think, other than potentially winning the World Series, but we both know how difficult that is. But but, uh, but yeah, it was just what a memorable run in the crowds. And, you know, you, I, uh, as anybody who listens on here and myself, we can attest, I mean, it's, it was tough to get a hotel room. It was tough mm-hmm. to get tickets. And, and that's, then mm-hmm. I, not to say that they have trouble filling the stadium, but that hasn't been the case the last five years. And that's, right. that brought back a lot of memories of, of, uh, you know, Albert in his heyday. Yeah. I mean, they've sold tickets the last few years, but they haven't always been people showing up or you've been able to buy them, you know, resale or whatever the case may be. Um, I mean, not to the point of, wow, this is a problem too much, but you know, coming out of the pandemic and yeah, you know, you got out of the pandemic, you got, you know, full season of everything. And then you had this, it was, it was pretty remarkable. Now let's move on. Let's talk about Yachty's um, final season. I think that what we saw at Yachty, it's probably a little bit more like what we expected to see out of pools, right? I mean, a guy that is clearly at the end of his career. And then, and that's not even taking into account the, you know, the gap in the middle of the season, which I want to talk to him about a little bit, but, um, you know, it's just, he still had his moments, you know, September Yachty came around and had, you know, a couple home runs at the big times. And, and, and he was still pretty solid behind the plate, but, you know, when Yachty walked away at the end of the year, nobody was clamoring that he needed to come back next year. <laughs> yeah, that's well. And, you know, what kind of sets, I think about this uh, quite a bit. Um, but if you remember when we were in St. Louis and we were, we had the Q and a and all mm-hmm. that, and there was the, uh, I can't tell you a number, but it was when Molina was out for the extended period of time, kind of doing the rehab on his own, which we, you know, it was, it was kind of, yeah, we were kind of raised my brows a little bit. Yeah. And the question was asked, how many people actually want him to come back? I don't remember how many hands went up, but I did kind of wonder, I was like, well, obviously they're reading the tea leaves on the, on this a little bit. And, uh, and uh, it, it, it was funny how, 
it was it was just funny how how quickly you, it it turned into hey the the restructuring of the deals and and everything with bringing back was awesome but hey there's maybe a time to call it quits and I think that we're probably at that point type yeah. situation that no one really wanted to say yeah so yeah the uh, it was one of those to where I I think that there everybody was kind of ready for some change it is also one of those to see just what kind of athlete and player he is that he was able to step up and do the things that he did toward the end of the end of the year as well. And kind of add to the magic that was the, you know, 22 season. But, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I feel like uh, not only was it, they kind of want to see some new blood back there, but I think Molina was ready to hang it up. I mean, and I, and that, you know, a couple of times away from the team for an extended period of time probably says a lot. Well, and it was, it was interesting that I think somewhere along the way, close to the end of the year, Maybe, maybe even closer to the, anyway. Um, basically, Adam Wainwright talked him back into come and play this year. I mean, there was a there was a strong chance. It sounds like I don't think we realized it. It probably part because of the lockout and stuff like that. Um, although, well, no, I take that back. I thought that he had, was not necessarily coming back this year, but he signed that contract for last for another year, like in September of last year, didn't he? I'd have to look and see, but uh, for some reason, I got the impression that there was at least a chance that he wasn't coming back this year. He was going to hang it up over the winter. Yeah, Adam Wainwright talked talked him out of it, and it just felt like from the beginning, Yachty wasn't a hundred percent sure that he wanted to be there Um, because he he came late to spring training, which was family issues or whatever. You know, he went back a couple of times once to watch his basketball team play which was weird too because you know Adam you know a guy that never wants to take a day off you know took that day off to I mean not that fine whatever but yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know and his six his six weeks or so of rehab I think in in any other year he's with the team he's traveling with them or he's doing stuff in St. Louis and he goes home and he goes to Puerto Rico and and spends time there I just yeah I think he had really at least partially committed to retirement in his mind. And, you know, having another year with Wainwright and Ray chasing that record was important. You know, once, once Pujols got signed, I think that added to, you know, he was probably glad he was back, but it just didn't feel like Yachty was quite as focused on the team as he usually is. Uh, and, and there's reasons for that. I'm not trying to like lay aspersions or anything like that. It just was interesting to see a different approach to, for Yachty toward, you know, you know, the comp- competition, which has always been like a huge thing for him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's looking back. You, it, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not so certain that I was completely aware of all that, but that makes mm-hmm. It makes a ton of sense because the knee-jerk reaction is like, "Hey, why the why the heck is he away from the team?" You know, one of those type of situations. But that makes that makes more sense to me that um, you know he may have been one foot out the door the whole time. You know, just mm-hmm. you know more than we think, and and uh, that that's that's actually really interesting because you know that's you're right. It was always one of those that couldn't get him out of the lineup, and you know this year he was away for an extended period of time on multiple occasions. So yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's it was a little bit a little bit weird just just coming down. Now Yachty and Albert go out at the same time, obviously, retired at the same time, which means they're eligible for Cooperstown at the same time. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, if anybody has any doubt that Albert Pulse was the first ballot Hall of Famer, it's you know, that's kind of insane. 
do you think they both make it to Cooperstown at the same time? Or does Yachty have to wait a couple of years in part because Albert's on that ballot too? I, you know, just gut reaction. I kind of want to say that he's going to have to wait just because now, you know, less than, you know, five years ago, we were having the conversation of, will he get in period? Mm-hmm. You know, how much are they going to look into tangibles? Now I do, I do feel like, I know this is kind of a touchy subject right now, but I think some of the younger voters are going to go more on, on more of the, uh, the metrics that make him a, the superstar that he is. Mm-hmm. And that will be, be a bigger portion of, of hall of fame induction. Um, you know, I, one, I wish they would redo the voting rights for a lot of these guys anyway, yeah. because no matter how much we talk about it, it's a joke. Um, you know, people just want spotlight on themselves by the no votes. It's stupid. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of those things that's, and I know there's a there's a I'm a Hall of Few type person. I don't know how I feel about that. I can honestly be pretty vanilla about the Hall of Fame altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but in his case, I just to answer your question, I feel like he will probably have to wait a lot, wait a while, just due to the fact that you know we didn't think he was going to get in outside of St. Louis. No one thought he was going to get in anyway. So yeah, I, I would think Albert to shoe in and. This is thinking outside the box that Molina is probably a 50 50 for the first year. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that, I think if Albert wasn't on the ballot, it's stronger. Um, I think that, yeah, I think you're right. We had this discussion five or six years ago, but then not only did, you know, he played for five or six more years to the, it really kind of cemented this. I mean, a, a guy that can play till he's, in his forties at catcher and the, yeah. the records that he's put up, I, you know, I feel like he's done enough. I don't think they're, you know, I think he's getting in, but I do want, it's going to be interesting. I mean, there are some voters. I mean, you're right. Voters are, you never know what they're going to do. But yeah. Like, uh, you know, some of these guys that, yeah, turn in blank ballots or vote for Francisco Rodriguez as their only guy. I mean, what are you doing? Do you, do you even know anything? Um, but you can see some voters saying, Hey, this is a great story these two guys going in at the same time, these two friends, they've been blah, 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 you know, so they vote for both of them. You also can see some voters saying I voted for Albert and I don't necessarily want a Cardinal centric ballot. Yeah. Which might've been even more so if Adam Wainwright retired, cause he'd have been on that ballot. I don't, Adam wouldn't have, have made it in, but the, I mean, he would have gotten votes. And so somebody's like, I'm going to vote for one Cardinal, but not necessarily for another one or two. I don't necessarily want to, you know, lean my ballot that way. And it, it also depends. I don't know who's going to be on the ballot in five years and stuff like that. So, but I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like Albert gets in on the first ballot and then Yachty might be a second or third ballot guy. And I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen what the struggle that it's been for Scott Rowland to get in uh, with the case that he has. And I don't, I don't know if I want to compare, you know, Yachty's hall of fame case versus Rowland's. I think Yachty's maybe a little bit, stronger just because he's a catcher, but I don't know. But, you know, just because we think, hey, this guy's a Hall of Famer and people think he's a Hall of Famer, sometimes it just depends on, you know, who else they're voting for. Yeah. Um, and it may take two or three or four years for him to get in versus the first ballot. But, um, so yeah, I, I imagine they don't go into the Hall of Fame at the same time. It'd be cool if they did, but I can't imagine that they do. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's uh, that would be awesome, and that would man, that'd be the storybook ending, would it? Yeah, I mean, that'd be yeah. uh, they'd be pretty crazy. I, mean, I, you know, it's one of those two that there's just so much uncertainty in the vote right now, and and it's it's it can be rather frustrating to where 
you know, not to go down this path, but I thought Roland would pick up more steam than he has. I almost mm-hmm. thought that he would get in this year, and I don't know if that's going to happen. So you just never know with some of these guys at this point, and uh, it's, it can kind of be frustrating to think that, you know, the guys that are worthy are being left off just due to, you know, reasons that we talked about. You know, uh, I, I, we don't think it's fair to vote for multiple guys and, you know, in situation A or B, and, and that's tough, and that's – that's why I, I don't know. The Hall of Fame to me gets a little tainted. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I mean that's fair. I, I think so too. Let me. I'm pulling up the tracker right now. 85 public ballots, uh, six anonymous ballots. So there's and Roland is at 80.2 percent right now out of those 93 ballots. I guess that they've got in the tracker. So um, that's not too bad. I mean no. he's in better. He's in. He, I think I feel pretty good about him making it in this. Year. I hope so. Um, you know, it, the, the work that, uh, Ryan Thibodeau and all those others that do that track this is, is pretty great. And, and stuff that I, you know, as a data kind of guy, I'd like to see it. Um, you know, he's showed the tracking of where Roland's been over the last, you know, the first 50 or so ballots, the last five or six years, he's well ahead of that. Um, I, you know, I, I imagine that he's probably going to get in. What's interesting to me is, and we're getting a little bit off on a tangent, but I'm a little bit surprised that Todd Helton is doing as strong as he is. Yeah, uh, Todd Helton looking on on track right now for possibly to get in as well, um, which is an interesting discussion. Not necessarily what I would have expected, but yeah, um, but yeah. So hopefully, so and, and you're right. We'll see. You know who's voting, what they're doing uh, by then. But um, yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, going back to 2022. Um, you know, when you're when you're looking back at it, I guess you know one of the next biggest things was the Harrison Bader trade for Jordan Montgomery. Um, not, and, we, and we've talked a lot about it, and I don't really want to rehash the whole thing. But you know, for the Cardinals <laughs> to give up a guy that, as of the beginning of the season, they were like thinking was going to be, or at least publicly saying was going to be in their outfield for like you know, 10 years, you know, yeah. all uh, out of the blue to give him up for a pitcher, which uh, a good pitcher, Jordan Montgomery was a good addition, no doubt, but it was just very surprising to see them cut bait on Harrison Bader that quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we had talked about that as well as of, um, you know, that we can probably point to about five or six situations, at least two or three at the top of my head to where, uh, what I'm about to say has, has kind of been blown out of, out of, uh, blown out of the water. He was their Bader was their marketing guy yeah. Yeah. for the new uniforms. Right. You know, one of those to where he they showcased him in in St. Louis a bunch, and uh, you kind of thought, okay, yeah, he, here we go. This uh, this could going to be one of their long term guys. Kind of fits the the profile of what plays well in St. Louis, speed and defense. This could kind of uh, you could kind of see this being a long term deal, um, and then. It was funny. I always, I always go back to my story on the trade. Here we are watching there toward the end of the uh, deadline to see what actually, what's going to happen. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. they didn't announce it till right about the time where the clock was, expired. Yeah, right. And, and I was like, wow, Montgomery. Okay, cool. You, you bring it. And you're like, oh, this is a guy that could probably uh, pitch pretty well and uh, and be successful in St. Louis if he's 
you know, been successful more so in St. Louis than he was in New York, you know, mm-hmm. with the balls flying out there. And, and I thought, okay, this is a pretty good pickup. You know, I may not, I'd like to see the return on this. And then when it was a straight up for Bader, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised. I was like, I was glad to see the move. And then, you know, gut instinct, I hate to say it. I was kind of like, man, that's, it's a fairly big move for them, you know, to move away from yeah. somebody and to do it with a guy that was on the disabled list at the time. Um, on the aisle at the time, I guess you'd say. So no, I mean it surprised me. I mean it because I felt like that would have been they had with the gold gloves and and the uh, and the uh, fan appreciation of the way that he plays. I felt like he was one of the guys that had been in St. Louis for a long time. So that it surprised me. I wasn't necessarily unhappy with the deal, but but it did surprise me that they did trade him for Montgomery. Yeah, I mean I remember. I think I was. I don't remember what I was doing. Oh, it was, it was my birthday. That's what it was. I was doing nothing because <laughs> uh, the deadline got pushed this year. And um, yeah, I was following on Twitter and just, you know, got that message that said the Cardinals are trading, you know, for a guy, Jordan McGimmer is a name that I didn't even know. I think we, we talked about that. It's um, so that was, you know, really weird. And then just to see, I remember jaw dropping because it was like, they, they traded Bader. I, I mean, again, that was not even on the radar, partly because he was hurt, but partly because of just the way they were, you know, committed to him, or at least it seemed like. So, yeah. Um, to For them to, and again, it sounds like that wasn't their idea that the Yankees came to them, but um, I, I, they don't have the outfield glut that they used to have. And we can talk about that maybe when we start shifting into 2023 talk. But they still have outfielders. They don't have pitchers. I mean, yeah. they don't have anybody that has, you know, upper level stuff. And I don't know that Montgomery, I don't know where you put Montgomery there, but I think Montgomery, especially when he came over, kind of indicated that he was better than a lot of the things that they had. Um, so you, you trade from a strength and, and, you, and the Yankees came to them with that good deal. And I mean, they're like, you know, let's jump on it. Uh, you know, you got, you don't know when you're gonna have an opportunity like that again. So, um, yeah, yeah. And they had to do it. No, I agree. And here's what's, what's, what I asked myself on this one. I always feel like when the Cardinals trade for one of the controllable guys, I feel like they look at the long term of what it's going to take to sign him if he's successful or mm-hmm. if they think the things that they see, uh, analytically, point to somebody that they want to sign long-term. You know, I've always felt like that. Do you do you feel like, A, the fact that they were willing to give Bader away f- for Montgomery shows that that's somebody that they would want long-term? Or B, it was one of those just a complete situation to where Bader was on the, on the cusp of really getting paid, the Yankees needed a center fielder, and the Cardinals needed a left-hand pitcher, and you roll the dice from there. What camp would you be in on that one? Mm, I think it's probably A, but I also think that, you know, Bader and Montgomery's contracts expire at the same time. Yeah. Well, they both had another year of control. If if they had traded Bader for a guy that was – if they traded Bader for Quintana, I would have expected them to ex- extend for Quintana. Uh, you know, trading Bader for Montgomery – I think there's an idea that they want to extend Montgomery and we may get into that in here a little bit, but I think they're also, I wonder if they got to the point where they didn't know if, or if they wanted to 
sign Harrison Bader when he came up for free agency. Um, you know, cause we've talked about it a couple of times. We thought he was going to be one of those spring training extension guys and he never was. And they never brought out any of that stuff. And if he's still on the Cardinals now, we're probably talking about maybe him having an extension, but maybe not because of all the injuries. I mean, he didn't play, but you know, the beginning of the season and then what the last couple of weeks there for the Yankees, uh, had a great postseason for them, but um, if he's still the Cardinals, maybe we're talking about, Hey, we don't know what, you know, what do we do with Harris Bader because he's, you know, free agent at the end of the year. Um, so I think that if they don't sign Montgomery to an extension, they're okay with what they gave up, but I think they would like to sign him to an extension. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. I just, I don't know if this is arrogance the way that, uh, that I personally approach this of, Hey, they don't make these trades without without going over a fine tooth comb, and yeah, I feel like yeah. it's like, hey, is this a guy that we think will profile here for the long term? And I feel like that is just about anybody that's that is on the term for the or yeah, right up against the what could potentially be their first big payday, or in some cases their only big payday. And I always wonder if that's if that's something that they look into, and maybe that's like I say when it, when I bring it up as arrogance, I. I'm sure every team does that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I may be, but I just feel like the Cardinals are more likely to do that because they're less knee jerk than any team out there. Um, so I don't know if the willing to, to, to move off from Bader was interesting to me because I did wonder, I was like, well, his name was never brought up in any of the extension talks. Maybe that wasn't an event or they could see that they can improve in that area and uh, in other ways and get a, a, a pull from an area of need right now. So I don't know. I would, those are, some of those, you know, three or four years down the line, you know, when when the uh, the smoke is cleared on these kind of moves and whether Montgomery's in the organization or not, to where I would love to have those conversations to see how right. those things actually worked and played out and what went into the uh, the processes. Now, publicly, they're always going to tell us that hey, we we had to do what we could, or you know, we needed them right away, you know. But behind the scenes, I would really like to know what what how what happened and when they were offered Montgomery, whether they turned around and said, hey, this is a jewel, we need to move this right now, or hey you know, the market's slow. We gotta, we're going to have to make a move and we're going to have to bite this one. I would, I would love to find out what actually went on on that. I think it would also be interesting just to see if they had gotten, I mean, there was such dire need of pitching at the deadline, right? Yeah. I mean, we went into that saying they needed two pitchers at least, you know I mean? They had to get, and, and Quintana was nice. It turned out to be more than nice. Uh, yeah. But I think there was also probably that there's a little bit of pressure, right? Of this is Pujols. You've got Pujols here in part to make a run. You've got Yachty's last year. You know, I don't know if they knew at the time they didn't because Wainwright didn't know at the time if he was coming back. I mean, I think he was borderline up until he made his decision. So you may have all these legends going, you've got to at least make the playoffs. And I think when they had a chance to, they may, I mean, I'm not saying that the current, overweighed the future, but I think it made more of an impact than maybe some years, you know, in some years they might say, we'll take our chances, whether we get to the postseason or not, we'll keep up Bader. But this year it was like, we, you know, we need another pitcher to even have a chance to get to October. And with all these guys on here, I think we have to do this deal. I, you know, I don't know, but I feel like there is a little extra pressure this year to make a deal like that. 
No, it would have been the past. I mean, Mo's not gonna say that because Mo always says, "No, that, well, none it, of that matters." But it does. No, exactly, and that's that's kind of where <laughs> that's you know we kind of th- me. I think we're kind of pulling the same rope there because yeah, yeah. I thought the same thing. I would really like to know the true reaction. Not that not not Mo can just be very misleading, and it, uh, he his approach is we never do anything knee jerk. You know, until they do, and then it turns into, well, I told you, I mean, we had to move quickly, you know, type situation. Um, but you're right. I would love to know how much of that conversation went into it. We're just like, hey, we have these legends. Uh, we don't know when they're coming back. We have a full house every night. Uh, we have a chance to do this. We we need to make a move. You know, uh, ultimately, you're going to hear, we just needed innings somewhere, yeah. you know, and, and take the conservative approach on that. But I feel like there's a sense of urgency there too. And I mean, I, it would be more refreshing if they came out and actually said, Hey, there was some urgency on this because we didn't want them to go out like that. You know, right. I think that would go a long way to the fan base because those are the things that we just don't hear. Um, ever, you know, case in point, everybody kind of was like, are we really status quo, <laughs> you know, at this situation? Yeah. And, and I'm sure they're turning over the tea leaves now to figure out what they can do, but, but they're never going to look like they're they're uh, they're moving out of desperation at all, and and I feel like that's why they would say that they needed innings instead of we needed one final push with these guys. Yeah, and I mean it does become a problem because once you say, and I'm sure that's what in some idea of Mo saying, okay, well we need to do it for these guys, then it's like, well, you know, why aren't you doing it for those guys? You know, I mean next year, you know, it's like okay, is there, you know, are these guys not as important? So it may be some of that is why they never come out to it. But yeah, I mean, you, you had to, you had to know what the pressures that were there. And um, I don't know, it, but it was very interesting to move to make. And, um, you know, the Quintana move at the deadline, was important, but that was much more of a Cardinals type of move, right? You, you lose um, Oviedo, who never quite could figure it out at the big league level. And Malcolm Nunez, who the Pirates and wound up letting go in the, Rule five, you know, which didn't make a lot of sense to me, but okay. Um, so, for a guy that you only had for a year, uh, yeah. or for the rest of the year, and that that was a very, I think everybody saw that kind of move coming. Yeah, uh, but to see them do this one was it, the Cardinals don't make aggressive trades. And yeah. I know, I know people will say, well, you you got Goldschmidt and you got Arenado, but I don't know how aggressive. It, it, depending on how you want to look at it. I mean, I guess they were aggressive, but they weren't risky. I mean, yeah, you only had a year supposedly of Paul Goldschmidt, but you gave up a lot of stuff you had extra and it didn't yeah. have to be anyway. You know, it wasn't anybody. You didn't trade your top prospect or anything like that for a guy that was only a year for you know, Nolan Arenado, you know, they, they, the Rockies basically handed him to you. I mean, that was not a tough deal. In fact, the only deal that you could even, and even, even the Marcelo Zuna trade wasn't at the time a big deal, right? I mean, you know, it's like, okay, we have all these parts to, you know, Alcantara has been, has has developed into something that nobody saw coming, but you know, at the time it was not a, we're trading you our best pitching prospect um, or we're trading you one of these top guys in our, of our farm team. You know, they're, they're very good at taking, you know, low-level spare parts, putting them together and getting something out of it. Sure. And, you know, the Bader for Montgomery Tree might have been their most risky trade that they've made in a while. Yeah. Yeah. They, you know, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, especially 
after the trade was made and you felt like you doubled down on Carlson, then you didn't play him mm-hmm. half the time. Right. You know, and that's there, that's still a question that I have of, you know, you and I spoke at length about this to where you're just like, he has to be hurt. I would not be surprised if we hear of wrist surgery or some little thing that he has done after the season. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they haven't and the fact that, um, you know, that his name's been, you know, been knocked about a little bit in trade makes the Bader deal even more of one that you kind of feel was a gamble per se, you know, and I don't, I feel like maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit of saying that, Hey, this was maybe more for the long term than we think, but it was one that you kind of feel like, okay, that's for them to, du- to double down on Carlson like they did at least publicly and then not play him was kind of a head scratcher. So I just thought it may be injury, but, but yeah, you're probably right. I mean, this was probably more of the more risky trades and I think I think a lot of the risk in the uh, the way that we feel like putting your neck on the line is the fact that Montgomery wasn't a household name. You know, yeah. that I feel like if he was, we'd have been like, whoo, that was a heck of a trade. Not the fact that he came over and was their best pitcher for, you know, three or four weeks before mm-hmm. we kind of ran out of steam a little bit. I mean, it, it, it goes back to your – I think you're right. I mean, this is one of those to where they pushed out a main part of their lineup uh, and we haven't necessarily seen that before, especially of the everyday guys. But it, it's even funny that they even did it with a guy that wasn't in the lineup because he was hurt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like if he's playing every day, do they make that deal? It, it, probably not, right? I mean, it was the fact that they'd gotten along without him that led them to not necessarily making him expendable, but he was a little bit more because it wasn't. Tra- it wasn't. Sure, they were getting better this year, and it wasn't making any impact you know, at all. You didn't yeah. have to even try to fill a spot. So, um, also 2022 first year for Ollie Marmol, um, you know, comes in after the kind of surprising firing of Schilt at the end of last year. And for all, I mean, comes in fourth, I think in the manager of the year voting, uh, it really seemed to balance everything pretty well. I mean, we've talked about it throughout the year, but you know, to, to not only, you know, especially early in the year. I mean, partly partly because it was Yachty getting um, back to speed, but he he split time with him and Kisner a little bit more than I would have thought yeah. any other manager would have done. Um, we saw him kind of be able to balance, especially early in the year when Albert wasn't playing. He didn't play every day, right? He, they tried to put him in good situations. Some of the situations seemed a little bit strange to us, but they were at least, you know, we tried to explain them. Um, so he balanced that whole, you know, super veteran type thing with getting time playing time, you know, with for Newt bar or, or other people like that. Um, I, you know, I just, I felt like it was a pretty solid first year. I, I'm, you know, of course I kind of thought that about Schultz, but yeah, you know, it feels like he really has a good way of explaining things when you, when you hear him after the games and a majority of his decisions at least have some sort of, you know, analytical, support to them sure sure yeah that's i think that he's the most progressive of the uh of the managers that they've had you know and, and that may have been by design a little bit too um i wonder you know the shield deal i was a big fan of shield i felt like the minute that he became bench close bench coach he was going to be the manager before too right. long right. um i do there's a part of the the marmal deal that, that kind of feels the same way that uh whenever he was elevated quickly that um uh, that they had 
which we have heard for years what they thought of him and mm-hmm. how quickly he was moving for the organization and how he was going to get uh, managerial interviews sooner rather than later. And I, and I feel like that, that does play a uh, part in maybe some of the, the ease that they made the decision with Shield. But other than that, I, it's, I, was, I was fairly happy with the, with the situation. Uh, I did like his bluntness of the way that he approached players because that's something we have not seen in a while. And it was one of those where it even raises some red flags on the guys that may be coming back that he had such a strong opinion about in terms of um, wasn't living up to expectations. You know, we heard, we heard that from players, and we hadn't heard that in a, in a long time. Um, you know, it was funny. The last time we were on, we brought up the, the Matt Holiday uh, mm-hmm. hire as the bench coach. You know, I didn't realize that he and Marmol was so close. And that that was a big part of why he decided to come back and how they offered it and how uh, it was going to take him a lot to leave Stillwater. But he would have done it for Marmol in a heartbeat, which really surprised me because I those things that we just behind closed doors that we had never seen. So I, I think that that's going to be a great hire. Not or I think that the Marmol deal is going to reap some benefits with some of these guys that we still consider, you know, younger on the spectrum as far as managers goes, just because I think that he comes with. Uh, I think his reputation is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that uh, this is a this is a hire, of course, and age and stuff like that. This is a hire that you expect to be a cardinal hire in the fact that you know they don't change managers very often. The, the, sure. the change of Schilt was yeah. surprising. I mean, heck, Matheny got what seven years. Yeah. Um, you know they don't they don't move from him move on from these guys that often. And I expect that Marmol is going to be that kind of guy. He's young. He's progressive. He's on He's in line with what the front office is trying to do. I mean, and in the Cardinal job is a job that, you know, he's not necessarily going to be looking for another job or anything that I expect it. We'll have him for, for quite some time. Yeah. Um, it, it'll be fun. I mean, you know, he's starting at an age I mean, you don't you don't make these comparisons, but you know his his starting age versus you know like Tony La Russa's starting age, right? Um, and Tony La Russa was a advanced guy for his time, and I don't know that Marmol's necessarily advanced like Tony was, but you know, could he have a twenty year career? Yeah, he could. Um, and, and it'd be interesting to see because I mean, he could be twenty years, um, you know, in St. Louis. I mean, you, you just never know. I mean, things change, and I'm probably not, but. Um, it'd be kind of wild to think that <laughs> to see just look back after twenty years. I remember we, we were talking about when he got hired. Um, so yeah, I think it's uh, it was a good hire. It was a pretty obvious hire. Again, it's the Cardinals, right? They don't do anything necessarily wild and crazy, um, except maybe firing their manager when they've gone to the playoffs. But yeah. you know, they, you know, once he got once the show got fired, you're right. They, you know. Marmol was pretty much the, the pretty obvious choice, right? Um, maybe maybe Skip Schumacher thinking about him, but again, a guy that has cardinal ties. Um, and we've talked about that uh, a, a couple of times, that not for Marmol, because I, I, I do like what they've done there, but at different times, at different spots, we've talked about, you know, it would not hurt for the, this team to bring somebody in from outside and get a different perspective on things. Uh, the front office been together for a long time. We saw extensions for uh, Gersh and Flores um, this this off season. 
Um, so they're not going anywhere and not saying that they should, um, but they haven't brought in anybody that from another organization. I mean, Skip Schumacher might've been the closest thing because he was coming from a different place, but he, he, you know, for his bench coach and he was only here one year. Um, you know, most of these guys have been here for a while. Uh, and I don't know, especially in decision-making roles, you can talk about, you know, Turner Ward and Dusty Blake. They're, they've been in the organization for a little while, but not necessarily, you know, long periods of time. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. It will be interesting, uh, you know, if and when front office spots come available, if eventually they do go outside the organization and, and maybe get a, just, I'm not saying they have to change anything, but getting a different perspective and getting a little bit more, you know, this is how we've done it someplace else. You know, that can only, you know, if you're smart, you take the good stuff from other teams and, and you got to know what that good stuff is. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, we've, we've heard him, we've heard most make the comment that, that they, um, they make someone in their organizational meetings be the counterpoint to push back on, right. On the things that they had. Well, I, it would be nice to go hire maybe that counterpoint a little bit. Yeah. I, I wonder, and it, it's funny. I thought of you on this one, as a matter of fact, whenever we, whenever the moves were made that, um, I know that you were, you have written before and spoke often on the show about, uh, maybe the need to delineate from the, uh, the uh, from the organization a little bit just for that purpose to maybe mm-hmm. to be the rusty nail to be you know to to open eyes to some new opinions that's a long way around me saying do you have any pause or do you do you think that it's the move from Maddox kind of goes along with hey let's go to a more system guy. Right. What was your knee jerk reaction to that one? They, because that I, I, whenever that move was made, I was like, well, Maddox was clearly out of the organization. Now he's been here long enough to where, mm-hmm. you know, the train of thoughts probably exactly the same. So whenever they moved that away, we're just like, well, this, this move kind of fits with what they've done the last 15 years. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I do like, you're right. We've talked a lot about getting a guy that could do kind of what Jeff Albert did a little bit more analytical look at the, at the pitching staff. Cause the pitching, you know, all the way up and down the minors, you've got, you don't really have the stars like you used to have. Right. Or you felt like, you know, the up and coming guys, you know, they've either made it to the major leagues or they've been traded off to someplace else or whatever. You've got, I guess the biggest name right now. And we'll talk to Kyle in a couple, you know, sometime in the next couple months. Um, but I feel like the biggest name pitching wise right now is Tink Hintz and he's in single A, you know, I mean, there's, yeah. there's not a huge thing. So to getting the most out of the guys that you do have, you know, takes an little approach. And, you know, I don't know how Maddox approached some of that stuff. I'm sure that he had some analytical stuff, but he also had a lot of feel to it. <laughs> it's, you know, the, the claw indicates um, I'm sure there's some idea of, of what he saw and, you know, you know, cause he's, he came from that, you know, he was pitching in the eighties and nineties, you know, he's coming from a different thing. And, and I'm not saying that he hasn't learned as he's gone for sure, but I do think there's a difference between a guy that is, you know, him and a guy like Blake who has come up, you know, just pretty much completely with, you know, the modern technologies and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, does that, 
are you, if you're saying, you know, does that change the organizational philosophy if they're getting a guy out that had had some experience other places, there is some of that, but you're right. I think Maddox had been there long enough that, and, and again, it's pitching coach. I don't know how much influence he I had agree. over. Yeah. I think Blake might have more influence than Maddox will when you look at the system wide thing. Yeah. Cause I think he's going to have some approaches that they're going to want to implement in the minor leagues at some point in time versus Maddox, which was kind of, you know, focused mainly on the major league level. So um, I think it's, a, I think it's going to be good for the Cardinals to make this move. Um, you know, it was not a move that they wanted to make. They were going to offer Maddox a contract and he wound up going to Texas to be a little closer to home. And that you, you can understand that, especially in his, you know, he's getting, getting close to retirement age, I would think. Um, so, uh, but I think it's going to be a move that turns out well for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going down there with Bochy, they, they have by hiring Bochy, by hiring Maddox, that shows that they're, they're going all in maybe this year. And it's one of those, not necessarily like we talked about on the last show, as a matter of fact, that uh, you can see them. They're thinking, Hey, we may not catch Houston, but if we get in, we're going to be tough to beat. Right. You know, type of situation. And that's, I'm sure that was probably alluring to Maddox at this point. Well, I mean, and that is that is the nature of the expanded playoffs, right? I mean, get you two good starting pitchers, I mean, really good starting pitchers, and it doesn't matter when you get in there, you're going to make a run. Because um, two stud starting pitchers, you got a really strong chance of winning that first round. Um, and then, you know, then you have to try to steal a game from in the second round, and then they come back around again. You know, that is one of the reasons the Cardinals – don't necessarily look to be a team that is a world series team in 2023 is because they've got, they've got pitching that'll get you wins when you're piling up wins. But when you've got to win and you know, a short series, you know, I don't know that you can go out there and just trust any of those guys to just, you know, to dominate and put that team on the back. They can win the game, but they're not necessarily overwhelming favored to win the game. Sure. Sure. That's, and I, yeah, (laughs) <laughs> that's uh, honestly the overall uh, opinion right now and the look of of what most people will, I think are holding them back from being really good. I mean, I feel like, it, you know, the, the projections that show them as a top 10 win team, I think that we can see that uh, that's probably what the front office is buying off in a little bit. You know, yeah. uh, quite a, you, that's how they think. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it's one of those to where, you know, in game ones, who are you going to throw? Because you're going to get the other team's horse. And how many of them match up? I mean, are the Cardinals full of twos and threes? I think that that would probably be the the main the the overriding opinion at this point. And and I don't know if that gives I don't know if that gives a lot of hope to winning many series, if not the biggest of series. So uh, I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, again, it depends on what kind of flarity you get. It depends on you know what kind of Montgomery you get, that kind of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, you know, it goes into it. I mean, and you know what? It, it, it's one of those things we do this every offseason, and I'm sure every fan base does it for every team. But it's it's one of those. Can we eliminate the ifs a little yeah. bit? And you yeah. know, the Cardinals don't always do that. Nope. And again, I mean, and we this is a point. This is a good thing. This is a wrap up show because we're talking a lot of stuff we've talked about before. But you know, we've made this point before that next year with the balanced schedule, the more balanced schedule, if you will. You know, you're not play, you're you're losing five six games against the Cubs, the 
Reds, the Pirates, right? You know, it's 18, yeah. 20 games. It's different, right? And, and yeah, maybe you're replacing that again with a few, but you're only playing, you know, three more games against, oh, I don't know, Oakland or whatever the case may be, but you're also going to wind up playing three games against, you know, New York and, you know, well, it depends on what Boston does, but you know, uh, the Astros, you're going to have to play them. You're going to have to play um, the Rangers and you, and you know, a three game series, maybe you run up against DeGrom, you know, and stuff like that. So you can't just say, you know what, we're the class of the NL central and we're going to pile up wins against these guys. Um, because yeah, the NL central is not necessarily great for next year. I will still see what the Brewers are going to do but you're not playing those teams as much and you don't get to just say, we're going to, you know, beat up on our division and, and get in that way, you know, and we'll see how effective they are against some of these better teams. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I think there's a lot of variables for 2023 that I don't know if any of them are pointed in the Cardinals favor. You know, we've talked about the schedule. We've talked about the the losing of the shift, um, or at least you know, minimizing of the shifts and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if either one of those things makes it easier for the Cardinals to win next year. Yeah, yeah, it's I I'm excited about the new brand and how much of a difference we think that uh, you know some of the new rule changes are going to make. I've watched a lot of MLB Network this week and and I get excited about you know just several things that they're doing. Um, to go back on it to your point, I'm not so certain that it makes such a big difference. I you know it, it's funny though when you look back at, at stolen base numbers, it's it's such a forgotten trait that I I didn't realize that Edmund had stolen so many. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. And one of those I was like, yeah, he's more of a weapon than we thought. And uh, that potentially could could only be better now, you know, limiting the shift when the bigger bases, the lack of throwovers, you know, right. that's, uh, you know, it, it, it could be big. But, yeah, I, I do wonder how 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 visible the changes are going to be initially. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that it may be well, as far as, you know, talked about, we'll hear it a lot early, but how quickly it'll be kind of a forgotten deal. But. But but you're right. To go back to your main point, it's uh, it, we you still just kind of wonder of uh, you know is this an advantage to the Cardinals or not or you know how much how different is this going to be from 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 previous years? I mean, like I said, we we've talked about this a lot. I mean, I feel like they're going to be really good next year. Um, mm-hmm. It's just one of those where this was another season where they think that you could have locked down some some things and they you, you and they chose not to do it. Right. Well, let's, I mean, we've run pretty close yeah. to our hour anyway, but I do want to talk a little bit about 2023. And I think the best way for us to do this now, because there's still so much going on. We're two or three weeks still from, um, from winter warm up. We're, you know, close to six weeks from beginning of spring training. So there's a lot that still could happen. Still a ways to go, but I think right now the good way to frame this, John didn't, uh, over at uh, MLB.com wrote uh, his bold predictions for 2023. I know Jeff Jones has a predictions one out. Jeff's going to be on the show next week. We'll talk about his his then. But I want to kind of go through what Denton's got here and see where we agree, where we don't agree. Um, we don't have to necessarily spend a whole lot of time on it, but 
on some of these, like the first one he's got is he thinks that they'll sign both Miles Michaelis and Jordan Montgomery to extensions during spring training. You know, we kind of talked a little bit about Montgomery already, but I don't, I think I could see one of those guys getting any extension. I'm not sure that they sign both of them. What do you think? Well, it was, I, I was glad to hear that just because I kind of like the, uh, the certainty of bringing in the rotation pieces. And that would make a lot of sense about why they didn't do some things they, that, that we felt like they should have done, mm-hmm. you know, one of those it, throughout the uh, off season or by the winter meetings or however you want to look at it. Um, I, I would like to see that happen with both of them. I feel like Michaelis is the low hanging fruit though, that they probably get pretty easy. Um, I would think that, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would think that Michaelis is probably a certainty, and I don't know how popular that opinion is going to be. Michaelis is a good pitcher, though, you know, and I and, yeah. and I agree. I would agree with that. Montgomery is one of those that I wonder how much those talks have already started, um, and then they they get into uh, to camp to kind of seal the deal. So to answer your question, I would think one would probably be a shoe in, especially considering that they usually do in extension every uh, every spring training. I would like to see both of them, and it would it would make a lot of sense that they did do both of those, just because it adds to some of the uncertainty we feel like they have with the rotation moving forward. But it's still, I would be a little bit surprised if it was both. Yeah, yeah, Michaelis, I like them. It's, I mean, he obviously re- repaired his value last year um, after being hurt for a year or two. Um, I, I still, I could do. Yeah, if they sign him for another couple of years, okay, I, I think I'm fine with that. Um, I'd like to see them do Montgomery, but then, you know, again, Montgomery, like we talked about, Montgomery had really good time when he came back over here, but then September, he kind of faded. You know, where, what kind of, is Montgomery more of a, somewhere in the middle, you know? Yeah. Uh, the certainty would be nice. You're right. Um, I also could see, though, I could see with, especially with the way the markets are going, um, I can see Montgomery holding out for spring for free agency, given sure. his, where he's at. Um, and so, yeah, if I was to bet, I think they signed Michaelis, but I don't, I have a feeling Montgomery winds up being a free agent, not because the Cardinals don't want to sign him, but just because, you know, he thinks he can get paid. He's going to get paid more there than he is the Cardinals extended him. Yeah. Um, Cardinals top prospect Jordan Walker will get every chance to make the opening day roster. Well, that's, that's called, I don't know that that counts under bold predictions because, sure. you know, if you want to say that he makes the opening day roster, that's a different story. But um, yeah, I think Jordan, I think it's pretty clear. Jordan Walker's going to have, besides the fact as people have pointed out that a lot of the guys are going to be gone for yeah. World Baseball classic. You know, the Cardinals want to see what he can do. I don't think that he makes the opening day roster, but I think we see a lot of him in spring training. No, I agree with that. I mean, that's pretty much exactly how I feel. I there that the opportunities there that he's skyrocketing through the system. There's going to be plenty of at bats. They always make it. The Cardinals are really good about it in spring playing these guys a lot and getting them incorporated right. with the big league club and and to see as much competition as 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 possible. You know they'll they'll play he'll play a lot of early games to where he sees the uh, the upper tier of pitching of, of these other guys just to see how he handles it. I feel like the move to the outfield will be interesting to see. Um, I would like to know where what Walker's doing now. You know whether he's in how quickly he's going to be in Jupiter, which I bet's probably fairly quickly if he's not there already. Yeah, uh, especially considering that they're trying to convert him to the outfield 
so quickly. Um, but yeah, that's I agree with you. I was like that. That was kind of the <laughs> that one's kind of an easy one to make, considering that you know there's not. I mean, we feel like we know the starting three outfielders, but you know, two have had injury issues. One major injury issues last mm-hmm. year of of where they had told O'Neill to you know change the way that he trains so he can stay in the lineup. It yeah. seems like there's a bats in the outfield to make, and you know, one of the top two or three prospects in baseball is going to get a chance to make it. Right. Right. And I mean, again, though, I'm, I will say you have Tyler O'Neill, you have Dylan Carlson, you have Lars Newtbar, and you have Alec Burleson. I think, like I said, Walker's going to play a lot in spring training, but I really don't, unless he, unless he has like an Albert Pujols 2001. I completely agree. Spring training, yeah. I don't think he makes the roster. I think they give him a chance since he hasn't played in Memphis at all. You know, and, and with golly, we have seen, you know, not, to cast any aspersions on Walker or anything like that, because I think Walker's the real deal. And if he has a great spring training, it's probably an indication. But we have seen people have great spring trainings and then do nothing, right? I mean, yeah. every year. Aaron Brooks last year was like the darling of – and granted, that's a different story because he's not a top prospect or anything like that. But, you know, I think that we saw – man, who was it now? I'm trying to think. Shelby Miller had, I think, one of those years where he had a great spring – and they didn't take him and he went to Memphis and just, you know, kind of bombed partly, yeah. you know, maybe it was a lack of focus. Maybe it was, you know, you know, spring training, spring training. It's a little different story. So, uh, yeah, I think that they'll want to see him, they want to see him against major league pitchers, but I honestly think that they'll spend, he'll spend at least a month or two down in Memphis. Uh, and the Cardinals may see what they can sort out uh, on the big league roster. And this goes along with this, another, perhaps not so bold um, prediction uh, he says before the season opener or the trade deadline, which is a lot of different things, the Cardinals will deal an outfielder for pitching help. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you get to the trade deadline and Jordan Walker's hitting like he's going to hit, you're going to have to trade somebody. So yeah, that's, that's now if you, I don't, I don't think they would do it before the season opener just because again, they want to figure this stuff out, but um, it it's very unlikely that, all four of those pitch, those outfielders that we named ahead of Jordan Walker are going to be on the team come August. Um, somebody's going to get moved at some point in time. Yeah, that's. I completely agree with that. I mean, it was. There's a lot to there's a lot to figure out, and uh, and uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, it, don't they always trade an outfielder for pitching? For yeah. pitching? You know what I mean? I, I was like, this this is not a, this is not a big shot in the dark here. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I but I agree with them. You know, I feel like there's going to be a trade to uh, open up playing time if 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 Walker does, you know, knock the cover off the ball in spring and and uh, and they kind of make a move. But you know, yeah, I, I'm not so certain that it happens for the season opener. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that. Um... And I mean, there is a possibility. The only the only way that somebody doesn't get moved, I guess, is if Alec Burleson struggles, goes to Memphis, and plays in Memphis a lot this year, which he could still do. Yeah, and then you know maybe Walker jumps over him, but you know it still feels like the Cardinals are going to try to do something. You know, because I don't, I'd have problems believing Alec Burleson is going to struggle in Memphis again after the season he put up there sure. last year. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I still feel like you're 98% chance that one of those four is, is gone. And 
Um, but I guess there's a small chance they're not. Um, this one's a little bit more aggressive. I'll, I'll give Mr. Denton the credit here. Relievers Gordon Graceffo and Connor Thomas will make the opening day roster. I know there's been a lot of buzz around both of those guys. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't, without really getting into the roster stuff, I haven't, I mean, neither one of those guys is on the 40 man, as far as I know. Maybe, maybe Thomas is. Um, you know, to be able to have to make moves to get both of those guys on the 40 man, that seems a, a little bit. One of them, maybe, but I don't know about both of them. Uh, yeah, that's the. And both would be making their de- they de- their debut, right. correct? Right, right. Yeah, so I know Guyon Graceffo definitely, but yeah, that I don't know. That, that seems awful, awfully aggressive, considering what they have coming back. You know, I mean, that's now. Here's the deal. This this is also one of those that could be right just due to the injuries that are bound to happen in spring sure. anyway. You know, so that's that's one of those that's still these aren't you know. You go to, I mean, let's just take the bolt off this, <laughs> you know, a, a little bit. I mean, but you're right. You're right. This is probably the one that's, uh, that's probably the most, uh, the mo- one that's most out there, but, but, you know, I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't, I would be surprised if either one of them make it out of camp. I mean, because if you, if, if you look, I mean, let's just say that there's not a starter injury in a perfect world. Right. They're bringing Hudson regardless. Right. Oh, I don't, I'm not sure he has options, but yeah, they're yeah. They're that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's so the uh, you make that move if if I, I mean you move off him if 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 you don't feel like if he's not going to come back regardless, you know, I I feel like you have to make that move. So there are six of your spots right there, and then you throw in everybody else, and then you still have the Cabrera issue. Um, mm-hmm. There's not really going to be any spots now. Of course, this is a perfect world with no injuries, which was never going to happen. Right. So I, I mean, I would be shocked if either one of them make it. Period. Not m- much less both. Yeah, Connor Thomas is on the forty man. I will say that. I looking up. So he, you know, there is that. That does help him. But yeah, you're right. Um, you know, pulling up the roster reminds me. You know, they signed uh, the Guillermo Zinga, uh, Zwinga, who I think it's he's on the forty man. I think it may be a major league roster. And then they've got the Wilking Rodriguez, who they took as a Rule 5 guy, yeah, who has to be on Who has there. to stay, yeah. Um, and they're very high on him, so it seems unlikely they don't at least start the season with him on the yeah. on the, unless he just you know completely blows up in camp or something like that. Um, yeah, and then you've got guys like Zach Thompson, and you got Drew Verhagen, who's going to have to be on there if he's healthy. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could see somebody get cut. I mean, you could see them you know, getting rid of a of – a, Jojo Romero or something like that, or something might happen, but yeah, it, I think, you know, both those guys are going to get some looks and get some time, but it could be a, could be tough to get them, you know, to make the roster work to get them on the big league roster. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think Graceffo, I think both of those guys make major league debuts in 2023. Sure. I just don't know if they're on the opening day roster. Yeah, no, that, that would, would make more sense. Tommy Edmund will win another gold glove. I, I, yeah, I mean, that's a fairly solid choice. He's going to be at shortstop the whole time, probably this year. Um, he probably would have won one last year if he had been at shortstop the whole time or at yep. second base the whole time. Um, you know, and it's pretty, I mean, gold gloves are one of those things that you're kind of predicted to win them until you don't. 
you know? Yeah. I mean, because that's the way the voting goes. So unless he's just terrible, yeah, he's probably going to win it. Or if somebody's just dominating. I don't know. I have to look at shortstop. Yeah. No, I could, I could see that as well. I mean, he could be a perennial for that same reason that you just right. talked about. I mean, and especially – I, I think that the bold of this prediction is the fact that he's moving shortstop, you know, yep. full time. So, you know, that's I, I th- it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, I think he's an elite defender, especially with his with his quickness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he covers so much ground, and and I like the stability of having him at shortstop. Honestly, so my yeah, you know, I was one of those that if if you couldn't sign one of the top three or possibly four, however you look at Swanson, um, you don't make a move on that because Edmonds that good. You want to be bold, you say Paul DeYoung's going to win another. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, He says Nolan Arnauto wins MVP. Um, Maybe. I'd like to see that. I think it's possible. Um, Part of me is like, you know, feels like Goldschmidt and Arnauto both take a bit of a step back next year just because they were so good this year. Yeah. Um, It's probably, you know, in line with what he did last year. Um, you know, that's, there's a lot of things involved there. I mean, the Cardinals have to be good and somebody else doesn't have to have a, I mean, if there's a, you know, if there's a guy in LA or, or say, or New York that has, you know, a good year, that's going to be a a trouble for him to overcome too. Sure. Um, and the Cardinals don't, you know, Cardinals hadn't won an MVP since Pujols, right? So, um, the idea is they're going to win them in back to back years. Could happen, but I don't. I don't know that I go that far. And it, but yeah, but that's a that's that's kind of bold. I'll give you that. Uh, sure, and there you know, there's probably you know what would you say? Mm, eight to ten may even be too many of guys that you could just say, hey, they're going to win an MVP, and they have a sh- chance to do it. You know, yeah. outside of those eight to ten, however it is, you, then you're like, oh my, that was kind of a shocking to see him come out of nowhere. Right. You know what I mean? So that's right. not that. That's not that tough to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got, yeah, your superstars, um, you, you kind of expect to be in there. So, yeah. Uh, Cardinals will win the division, but they'll suffer more post postseason frustration. I think that's kind of what we've said already, you know, they've sure. got, you know, the quality to win the division, but you know, do they have a team that can play in the sprint? Um, we'll see. All right. These were some quick hits. Um, Contreras hits 25 home runs. I could see that. Yeah, that's, that's possible. Yeah. That's possible. I, you know, I mean, you do have to factor in the fact he's playing at Bush. Yeah, that, that would be my it's only apprehension cool. to that, honestly. But yeah. I, I still think he has a pretty good year, though. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, yeah. I, it's going to be close somewhere in there. I can do that. Uh, Brendan, opening day, Brendan Donovan starts at second base, and Nolan Gorman's the opening day DH. I mean, Partly would have to depend on who's they're facing. You know, yeah. if they're facing a lefty, he's not. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think next year's probably a lot of Gorman and Yep as a, at DH, right? Yeah. 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 I know. I agree with that. I mean, that's, and that's where you wonder about Burleson a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, that that's, but I, here's the thing. I do agree with that because I think Donovan's going to get it, have every chance to lose the job. I really, I mean, I because right. I think that he's probably going to lead off majority of the time. Mm-hmm. I think that they like the skill, uh, and I, def, I don't think they lose anything defensively. What I do think is a, a little bit funny is how quickly we've kind of forgotten about Gorman and yeah. how 
you the only name only way you heard about him this year is the fact that he that or the chance that he could be traded and that's one of the guys that you would trade and you're like are they as down on him as as kind of the fan base is I don't know you know because that's we thought about it we're just like hey that's the power potential that's coming and now all of a sudden it's like well let's get him out of here you know type of situation yeah. so I don't know Gorman's interesting to me extremely interesting to me because even guilt even on the surface I feel like. Uh, the DH role is going to be a Yepes Burleson type situation. And I even forget about Gorman. So I don't know. It, 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 I could see that. And uh, it, it's, it's funny. I know he wasn't to, to Walker as far as momentum building and esteem coming through, but the Gorman, he he came with a lot of, uh, with a lot of hope that he was going to, you know, not necessarily be a savior, but, a big part of this team moving forward. Yeah. I mean, and I think a lot of people, and we don't, and we've talked about this, I think at times before, you know, we see prospects on other teams just come out of nowhere. I mean, not come out of nowhere, but you know, they're top prospects and then they hit like it, right. You know, Julio Rodriguez and stuff like that. You know, we don't think about the number of people that, you know, it takes a while for them to figure it out. Noah Gorman is, 22 and a half, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. there are, are, you know, back years ago, he'd be probably starting double a this year. Right. Or, yeah. or, you know, maybe, maybe uh, having another year triple a instead, he's got, you know, more than half a year in the big leagues in his, in his, in his resume. Um, these guys are taking, it takes some adjustments. And especially nowadays, I mean, it used to take a little while for, you know, your holes or, you know, how to pitch you to get around the league and you had to make adjustments. You know, nowadays they come up, they've, they've seen video on you from the minor leagues. They know where you're, they know how to attack you. Um, and you've got to make the adjustments and there's no doubt about that. But, you know, just because Nolan Gorman, you know, and, and Nolan Gorman, you know, what? He, he hit 14 homers last year in less than 90 games right i mean if he played a full season you know yeah maybe he's maybe it's a more of a of a rob deer type where he's striking out a lot but you know he still may give you 20 25 home runs um there's still value there and he's still learning so yeah i i agree i hope that i don't think the cardinals i think the cardinals are smarter than that um i mean if the right deal came along would they move him sure i think yes yeah. because yeah, i agree not, with that yeah, there's not. I mean, if he's not, if Donovan's going to play second, and I, I'm sure they'd like to have Donovan be able to be the jack of all trades type sure. thing too. So Gorman play, but you know they have Dorman play. Donovan play second. They've got guys that can do H. If the right deal came along, he could be a little bit expendable. But I don't think they're actively trying to move him. It'd have to be a pretty good deal. So. Uh, still irked by his late season struggles. Goldschmidt will make another run at the NL MB, uh, triple crown. I don't see that happening. Honestly. I mean, will he have good numbers in all those categories? Yes. Will he be leading the league in all those categories? I don't think so. I mean, I like Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, no, I agree. Here, yeah. but you don't, you just don't make runs at triple crowns back to back years. I mean, yeah. Doesn't happen very often. Wayne White will short, fall short of winning 15 games. I think that's, pretty clear uh, um but he will pitch and win a playoff game this time around i, I say pretty clear I, it, it feels like 
15 games, winning 15 games, especially in this in this era where you know pitchers are pulled after five or six, and and Wainwright's probably going to need to be a guy like that. Yeah, facing and, and with he's got a new 15 games by itself feels like a lot, right? And then he's got a new catcher. I'm still a little bit concerned about how you know not having Yadier Molina behind the plate is going to affect Adam Wainwright. Um, yeah, I Adam Wainwright won 12 games this year. If you're talking about just wins on his record, I could see him. I would bet on him getting less than 12 over more than 12. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. That's well, I, man, that's tough. Uh, yeah. 15 is one that, that, that seems pretty, pretty unrealistic. 12. You would think so. I mean, he's, he, depending on what we see out of Flaherty, he's going to be the horse of the rotation. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that's, yeah, for him. Let's put it this way. Are you as apprehensive of him winning 15 games as we were of 700 home runs with Pujols? <laughs> well, I guess that's You know that. what I mean? It's like, there is that. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But, yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. Um, but I also think that, you know, we saw... I don't know. I just feel like there's so many different things that, and we've talked about those variables again, it, it gets back into, you know, the, some of the rule changes and stuff like that. And you're just not having the guy. Cause we saw it last year, right? If, if, if Wainwright wasn't getting the core, if, if the umpire wasn't giving him the edges, it felt like, you know, he really struggled, right? He didn't, you know, he didn't go as deep into games. He, you know, my guy hit and stuff like that. I just think we're going to see a lot more five or six inning games out of Wainwright, which is going to give him opportunities to not win. I'm not saying he's going to have a losing record. He may go 11 and six or something like that. I just don't think he's going to get the decisions. Um, and I think, I think Marmol may be, I mean, we've seen him be a little bit more aggressive with, okay, Wainwright's struggling here in the fifth. We're not going to wait around for him to get the win. Right. We're going to. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so, you know, if he wins 12 or more, it's not going to totally surprise me. But if I'm guessing, I'm going the under of 11 and a half, I guess, if you have to do the average and under. Sure. Yeah, yeah, um, I agree with that. So, um, and the last one is that Dylan Carlson will hit righties well, which, okay, maybe. Hope so. Hopefully he'll hit everybody well. Um, I don't know. <sighs> Talking about giving up on Nolan Gorman, I, I mean, I know we've got a little bit more um, history with Dylan Carlson now over the you know three seasons, um, but it feels like a lot of people are ready to just you know kind of write him off too. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, you know, he's been hurt. Um, I, I think that I don't think twenty twenty two is representative of what he can do. I don't sure. know that he's going to be the you know the all star that maybe they thought he was going to be coming up, but I think he's going to do better than he hit did he did it last year. Yeah, I agree, and that's my my first. Uh, it, I, I hope he gets a chance. You know that that's one thing that right. uh, that kind of uh, concerned me a little bit because it was a choice of hey he can't he can't do this so we're going to find someone who can. I'm not going to say that they, yeah, there's not that's kind of a stupid statement. I mean I I don't want it to look like they had given up on him. But I just hope the super platoon isn't to get him out of against righties as much as possible because then he just probably wouldn't play that much and right. and then and you know that'd be a failure all the way around. So I think that yes, he is going to hit the righties better, and I think that he'll stay in the lineup more. 
I don't hope so. I think, th- I mean, he's going to have to, right? I mean, yeah, that's the way I look at it. You know, Tyler O'Neill can play center. It's, there was some interesting talk, and I know Jeff Jones heard a little bit about this too, um, about Mo talking about Lars Newbar playing center. Um, but, you know, Dylan Carlson probably needs to play center field, right? I mean, and he's not, I mean, he's not Harrison Bader either. I mean, none of them are um, when you're playing defensively. But, you know, I, I don't know about Nick Barr, but it, O'Neal, I think I think you're better off if, if Carlson's playing center field than those guys. Yeah. I, I mean, you're all, but um, that's my feeling. So if he can hit it all, he'll be out there. So, all right. Well, I think, you know, we've gone a little long, but, you know, hopefully this will get you through the, the holiday to today tonight or, or whatever the case may be or tomorrow. Um, next week we'll be back. Probably we'll be recording on, on Friday night. Uh, and Jeff Jones is going to start off season nine with us. Uh, Jeff started the last two or three seasons. So we're glad to have him come back in um, and talk about the, what's, what's to come and what has happened um, until then uh, for Alan. I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night. Widespread stance, arms out over the plate. Bickford from the stretch. The 1-1 pitch. A swing, and there it goes! Left field, way back! That's home run number 700! Pujols hits a three-run homer, and he hit 699 and 700 at Dodger Stadium on September 23rd, 2022.